Initiative. Welcome back to the Roll for Initiative podcast, issue number 45. Ah, 45. We should be at 50 now, but you know, we take so many breaks. Nah, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> now, nah, last week we didn't do a show because I was sick. Now, this week Jason's sick, so, but he said he wrote and demanded that we do a show anyway without him. He said the fans need to have a show and he didn't want to go too long without it, and that's how dedicated he is to the show. The show must go on. Yep. I'm DM Vince, and this week we're going to have uh, Matt sit in. He's going to be DM Matt instead of producer Matt. Hello, everyone. <laughs> and uh, as usual, DM Nick is here. Hello, everyone. I'm on, on a much better connection now. Hopefully. Oh, no, yeah. I'm at home, not at Castle Greyhawk. So. That, that was pretty bad last time. We'd be talking, and you were like 30 yeah. seconds behind us. Well, the saving throw, we're like, that was last segment, Nick. I know. <laughs> You would think with Mordekainen and Tensor and everybody like that, they would have a good wireless connection there. But no, they don't pay their bills. So, so uh, you get... what'd you do this week, mm. Nick? What did I do this week? Yeah. Okay, let me think. Uh, I didn't say Homer uh, Simpson. Okay. I, uh, well, besides working at the new job I had uh, last Saturday. Yay. Um, last Saturday, we had our monthly Hackmaster game. Sweet. And had a new player, um, and he's like 15. He lives down the street from us. He was playing AD&D first edition with us, too. And that was the his uh, family. Mm-hmm. I talked about earlier how his folks and his sister and everybody, we all sat down kind of did an AD&D session. And I talked about uh, with him, you know, I do this monthly Hackmaster game, and he's like, oh, that sounds kind of cool. When do you guys get together? And so he – joined us for that game and uh, couldn't really tell if he had a good time at first because he just kind of <laughs> sat there. Yeah. <laughs> and was very quiet and very reserved. I, but afterwards, I got, I understood from him he was kind of taking everything in mm-hmm. and just kind of, you know, absorbing it all, how everybody was. You know, younger kid, you know, so, somewhat shy. I can understand. But I also told him that there are other people his age there. So we got about Almost half the group is around 15, 16. Awesome. Which is pretty good. Yeah. So right after the game, after we got done, which was like at 2 o'clock in the morning. Right. Take, we go out to the car. I'm driving him home and everything. He goes, not even before we left. I'm going to get in the car. He goes, um, do you have a player's handbook? I'm like, yeah, because I would like to read. I want to get, no, 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 if I can get more of the books and stuff. I'm like, cool. <laughs> And he wants to get more. Um, he wants to get uh, so try to get some of the AD and D stuff. I can lend him too. Yeah, yeah. So Amazon, you can get it pretty cheap right now too. Yeah, and I got some extra copies he can borrow too. He can know. have my special KKK Nazi one that I bought and threw in the garbage. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I got two. I got three copies of the the player's handbook and all the other stuff. So no, we that was really that. cool. Yeah. No, we didn't see that marking on the book when we sold it to you. Yeah, sure. Man, <laughs> but it was just really cool that, you know, he's been looking for something to do, something that was into his interests, and he just didn't, I guess he just didn't know where to go. He just yeah. didn't know where the, where to, he didn't know what direction to go to. It's hard, and, you know, starting later on. 
Just I think so nowadays. Yeah. Because it's so much more to where you have to. There's not. There's no really game stores to speak of anymore. Not as many as there used to be. No, they're going. And unless unless you hear it from somebody else who's been in for a while, I mean, sometimes you're kind of in the dark about it. But uh, yeah, when I was a kid, we had Waterloo, the uh, hobby store Waterloo. We used to go in there, and I could just. BS with the guy for hours on end to talk about whatever game was coming out, and he would, you know, advise me what to do and this and that. But you know, yeah, there was like four game stores where I grew up. There was, uh, there was Dragon's Lair, there was Star Realm, which was my old stomping grounds, which I went to, and then there was this place called Ground Zero uh, Hobbies or Ground Zero Comic Books and Hobbies, and there was, um, wow, I think it was Hobby Town USA also carried some yeah. stuff. Look at you. But, uh, Nowadays, it's it's very hard, but I, I'm kind of glad I got him in there. I talked about conventions or anything with him. It was really cool. Yeah, here in Cincinnati, we're actually kind of lucky because we actually have multiple gaming stores, and we even have some comic book shops that do gaming as well. Yeah. Um, we ha- we actually have the uh, Yada Quest, which actually won Goodman Games Game Store of the Year last year, so kind of fortunate oh, in that. We actually Check have a, My name a is- decent gaming community. Check it out. My name is Matt, and I have a cool gaming community. <laughs> yeah. Right. Cincinnati's the place to be here. I know. I'm going to move. Jerk. We're, we're just 10 years behind everyone else, so <laughs> that's all. 10 years behind us and five years ahead of uh, UK. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you do this past week, Matt? Uh, well, both of my gaming groups were canceled, uh, unfortunately. Uh, one was due to a basement flood where we act game. No gaming books were harmed. He carefully and removed yeah. each one oh. with the tender, loving care they deserved. Which, when you Thanks see Saint pic- Cuthbert, yes, oh. Uh-oh. Uh, and when you see how much stuff he has in that basement, it actually resembles a gaming store. It's kind of impressive, really. Um, and then my other that is a group we rotate game systems. We just finished a Pathfinder, and I'm going to start running a Marvel superheroes campaign. Ooh, fun. Yeah, and then my uh, saga, uh, Star Wars Saga edition is on hiatus till after Easter because three of the people are involved in an Easter production that they're doing rehearsals for on Monday nights, which is our gaming night, so. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome, dude. Marvel yeah. superheroes. Glenn, yeah. uh, Glenn of the uh, Save or Die podcast just picked me up the uh, Ultimate Powers book for Marvel. Oh, nice. You know, you can find all that stuff online yeah. for free. Yeah, there, I know. There's yeah, there's website. one site that has everything. Everything. I'm like, yes. if it's I all... ever run a Supers yeah. game, that's the one I like to do. I'm is no it... Champions Guru. That's for darn sure. Yeah. Is it legal to put that up there? I'm not even sure. Yes, they never picked up the license for that for that mechanic for the old face rip system. Yeah. But doesn't uh doesn't it revert back to Marvel then? Uh no. Apparently the the copy or not I guess the copyright did lapse. All right. Well, for just in case we're not going to put up a link right. cuz I don't want to get we in won't. trouble. Yeah, just, we we won't uh Here's your here's that. your hint. Just google it, you'll find it. It's very yeah, easy to find. Right. It's it's whatever. not difficult to find. Yeah, I actually picked up a copy of the Deluxe City campaign set for Marvel, and it is amazing. Yeah, I got all the books now, and finally the Ultimate Powers book, which is such a pain to find. Yeah, and then when you do find it, it's very expensive. Yeah, <laughs> he found it for uh, eight bucks at half price books. Oh, nice! nice. I I actually picked up a, a copy of Against the Giants for five dollars at half price books. So I wow, was nice. That. 
and then I picked up a few couple Raves Second Edition uh, Ravenloft box sets, some wow. of the expansion box sets, and uh, the uh, City Sites that has uh, Waterdeep, mm-hmm. the like the ten maps of Waterdeep. I picked that up for like eight oh, bucks. Wow, that's awesome. So, Yes, ha- that's the other thing of having a good gaming community. You end up with very good stuff at half price yeah. books. Yes, yeah, true. Uh, so what did I do other than being sick yeah. for a complete week because I was in had the flu? What, I spent gaming, gaming stuff. Yes, I did do gaming stuff. I uh, actually reopened my blog in the last couple of weeks. So the evilgm dot com is my blog. Ooh. So Matt, you can put that in the show notes for people to yes. read on that. And what I've been doing is just, you know, putting down general like, gaming thoughts and everything. But this past week, I've decided to make a traveler size of the uh, Marsh Cook BX book mm-hmm. from D&D. So I have a traveler size. And I have a picture on the website of that. So it's smaller, more compact. It's, you know, cute looking. And I was oh. doing that. And I was working on a smaller DM screen for uh, basic, uh, for BX, I should say. Uh, let's see. Also, I've been watching this awesome, awesome TV show. Called, made by uh, Dead Gentlemen's Productions that made uh, Gamers 2 mm-hmm. called Journey Quest. That's journey-quest.com uh-huh. is the website. And it's basically made by the same people. Some of the same actors are in there. But this is um, what they're doing is, is a bunch of adventurers on a journey that turns mm-hmm. into a quest. And they have the stereotypical wizard who can't cast a spell. And when he goes to cast a spell, he sprays milk in an orc. And uh, the paladins, yeah, he just goes, ha-ha, and he sprays milk, and he goes to cast a, a wind spell, and he gusts off his own clothes by accident. No, don't give away too much. No, I won't. <laughs> uh, the I can't figure out the, the – it's either a fighter or a, para, a paladin. His name is Glorion, and he just runs around trying to slay as many orcs as possible. And just Sounds his, like his, every fighter in AD&D I've ever encountered. Yeah, his answer to everything is just kill it and move on. Yeah, okay, cool. So they're just, uh, it's on this quest, and there's a bard following them around trying to, uh, you know, uh, catalog the quest, and funny things happen. I don't want to give too much away, but there's a lot of inside jokes and a lot of, like, goofy things that happen. And this and this is an online series? Uh, you can download it. It's, it's free. It's uh, Creative Commons Share and uh, Share Alike. I, I forget the look. Matt, you on the site there? Uh, yes. There's a Creative Commons uh, share and share alike. There's no, right. they, they claim no studio, no uh, TV station, no nothing. It's just it's fan supported and uh, made by them. Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah, so you can download it for free. You can you can use it however you want to use it. it. It's really good. They got done with the first season. They're only like seven minute episodes, but they're funny as heck. Oh, that's yeah. cool. So I've been doing that. And looking over cool. various games. Now, the Book of Sorrows, I was playing that, obviously, on okay. Thursday. That's just about to end mm. as they finally figured out where to go to destroy the book. And there should be another session, and that should be it. Then we're going to take a break from D&D. Actually, actually we're going to go play <laughs> uh, Last Unicorn Game Star Trek. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the original series. We're going to try playing that for once or twice just to get a sci-fi thing going. That would be fun. Sometimes yeah. you need a change of pace. Yeah, and then we're going to jump back to D&D. <laughs> yeah. With my- well, I, I remember when I suggested a change of pace for everybody, I said, oh, let's try Call of Cthulhu. And there's like two people like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and, and some people are like, why? What, what's wrong with that game? <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, and, I, and I've been watching uh, Todd and the Pure Book of Evil. 
which is a Todd can- <laughs> and the Pure Pick of Evil. It's a it's a Canadian show. Uh, it's it's Todd and the Pure, Pure Book of Evil dot com. It goes it broadcasts on Canadian TV, and basically what there is is this book, the Pure Book of Evil, inside this high school. It's called Crowley High School, but they call it Crowley High School. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. And the Book of Evil, I really can't say what the Book of Evil is made of because it's something that's not G-rated. But <laughs> you'll figure it out. And the book basically goes from student to student in this high school, giving them whatever they want, and bad things happen. And Todd has to, and his group of you know friends, have to try to uh, stop it. <laughs> it's like Buffy the Vampire Slayer slash Saved by the Bell. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> it's like really so corny that you can't stop watching it. Yeah, it's like and you imagine wouldn't... Screech with the Necronomicon. Yeah, and you and oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> did I just make a bad image? Yeah, and the best part of the whole thing is Jason Muses in it as the janitor. <laughs> oh my god! Wow, the philosophical janitor that gives them advice every once in a while. Nice, nice. Yeah, it's a good show. You can't believe it because they do. There's a lot of cursing in it, so be careful if kids are around. And I can't believe they allowed on Canadian TV all the cursing they do. That's Canada. Yeah. yeah. Our, lar- our yeah. largest state. <laughs> America's hat. <laughs> so that's what they call it, America's hat. Uh, so, Nick, do we have any stars this week? <laughs> yeah, before we go down to any other roads, uh, we have one star this week, actually, uh, a little over a week ago, from Super Nintendo Chalmers. And he gives us five stars. Super Nintendo Chalmers, yes. And he gives us four, five stars, and it says awesome. And he says, I highly recommend this podcast to anybody who has played any of the various editions of D&D. Very entertaining and informative. The clean format allows you to enjoy it in the office or at home with the family without worry. It is also good for explaining the evils of fourth edition. (laughs) The edition that shall be named. Oh, darn it. I just said it. <laughs> it's like saying Hastur. Oh, darn it. I just said it again. Uh, I said no. Hastur. So, I said uh. it again. <laughs> someone, someone taped Nick's mouth shut. Anyway, thanks for Super Nintendo Chalmers. I <laughs> love that name. <laughs> yes. <laughs> for the review. Uh, keep the reviews coming, and we'll read them as they show up. The more reviews you get, the higher we get pushed up on iTunes. I don't know if they're still going by that philosophy. They were, but well, who knows? We just, just send like in your reviews. We like yes. saying them. Yeah, we 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 read all the reviews, even if it's not five stars. So, mm-hmm. just so people get an idea of what we're like. That's right. Uh, so Gen Con this year, just a brief thing. I put my two games in. I'll be running at Gen Con for Dead Game Society. They're both uh, BX D and D games, so you can look for them at Gen cool. Con. Cool. Uh, looks like uh, for me, I will be going to Origins more than likely. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, I'll keep everybody posted on that and find out what's going on for any, like, uh, old-school gaming. I know I'm going to be playing um, uh, some Call of Cthulhu. I'm going to know I'm going to be some first edition AD&D will be there. I just I haven't seen a schedule yet. I don't even think they have it posted yet. I don't so. know if they really have a schedule for games at Icons. I think it's more of a you go and you just play games. Oh, not icons, but origins. Oh, I'm sorry, origins. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, origins yeah. is in Columbus at the end of June. Yeah. What was it's, the thing icons? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's uh, the 22nd, I believe, is origins starts June 22nd. Yeah, that's the con right before Gen Con. That yeah. Sunday. 
the Gen Con pre-con. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I'll be at Origins probably up Saturday driving up from Cincinnati, and then I'll be at Gen Con. Actually, I'll be in Indy the Wednesday before the con even starts since there's like a full day's worth of events, free events going on, put on by some of the gaming groups in Indianapolis. So. Well, we'll have to uh... – I'm there for Origins. We'll have to hook up there with all my other friends. They'll Definitely. Since it, since it, last year's Origins, we had that chance meeting in a hallway anyway. So yes, that's true. When I was wearing that's the right, RFI shirt. Yes. That's right. That was you. Oh, my God. That's how strange. Yes. <laughs> oh, I, I know how that all works out. I know, yeah. you know um, one um, of the people in my group one, yeah. said that they saw someone wearing an RFI shirt up at the uh, Massachusetts Con or Maine Con. I can't oh, think of cool. the total con it was called. He nice. saw the person, but he didn't have a chance to run up to him and find out who it was. So. You were saying Well, Nick? I know one thing that we can do is either at Origins or Gen Con, which I uh, highly recommend for anybody. One of the things that you should probably check out if you haven't is my yeah. friends at Kenzer and Company, they do the uh, oh, okay. um, Knights of the Dinner Table live reading. Yes, they do do yes. that. And anybody who ever read Knights of the Dinner Table, you've got to go to the library or either one of those cons. It is a hoot. You will have a blast. You will laugh your keister off. Mm-hmm. And, and it's so fun because you out there, you listeners, might get picked to read. So it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, definitely. I thought you were going to say uh, something else, but <laughs> if you go to Gen Con, definitely. I don't know if they do it at Origins, but the uh, the Hickmans, Tracy and Laura, do Murder Breakfast, I think it's called. Oh, yeah, the Killer Breakfast. Killer They're breakfast, actually yeah. doing two this year. It'll be Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, Killer I breakfasts. had a chance to sit down with uh, Tracy Hickman last uh, episode of Save or Die and had a nice interview with him. That's uh, saveordie.info. You can listen to him about his, uh, his DMX, I think it's, or DX... I can't think of it offhand. I apologize, Tracy. His uh, his system that he made up, his own homemade yeah, system. Yeah, the XDM. Thank you. And another one, yes. before we forget, later on this month, GaryCon. Tree. Tree. Yes. Yes. No, not GaryCon Tree. GaryCon Tree. Well, yes. Uh, GaryCon, March 25th through 27th. So a lot of good, lot of good stuff going on there. Whew. Jason uh, should be going to that. You can meet him there. Yeah. He'll be wearing got- his RFI shirt. Yep, they got original D and D brown box going on, run by Tim Cask, uh, Frank Metzer running first edition A D and D. So is Rob Koontz. Jim Ward's running Metamorphosis Alpha. So a lot of good stuff going on there. Even yeah, and hmm. much much more. Do they only play so, all the uh, Gary games at Gary Con, or do they play other things? Uh, there's Circus Maximus going on. Okay, I was just curious. Um, yeah, looks like yeah. Goodman Games is going to be there. Joseph Goodman's running his new system, Dungeon Crawl Classics. He'll be doing a couple of uh, adventures there. Which, that guy's and I've heard a lot of good buzz about this. The people who've uh, semi-play tested it at the cons heard some really good stuff about this new system. He's, so, he's everywhere, that Goodman guy. Yeah, I know. He's like all over the map. I know. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of good Ooh. stuff going on. Well, that was a long news segment there. There's a lot of news going on. Yeah. yeah. We've been gone for two weeks. A lot of a lot of things to go over. I don't know. I blame you, Matt. It's your fault. Yes. <laughs> Let's edit the Sage Advice. Sage Advice. So, uh, Sage Advice this week. No singing. Don't worry. Ah, oh, Nick uh, Sage. Don't! 
<laughs> you sang because Jason's not here, so he can't beat you up. Ha ha ha. We have no voicemails this week, but... I'm pulling up, I have a couple emails here. Um, Alex gives, uh, Alex Schroeder writes into us asking us to uh, comment about the one-page dungeon contest that's happening again this year. Uh, every Who's year, doing that, I forget. Uh, I don't know who the sponsor that is. He just wrote it into us here from his name. So, uh, the it's Matt will put it up in the show notes. It's a, a, a campaignwiki.org slash wiki slash dungeon map slash one underscore page underscore dungeon underscore contest underscore 2011. Don't worry about writing more that down. Complicated than that. Yeah, yeah. and uh, you can go there for more details, and it'll give you all the links. Uh, so if you want to join in that, you can get some prizes, get your stuff printed from that. Uh, let's see here. We got one from Giovanni. He says, hey, you guys, I just started listening to your podcast. Very interesting. I'm a fan of old D&D, so your podcast has been very entertaining. Thank you. I just wanted to say hi from Tokyo. We are a small group of gamers, and we are going to play AD&D pretty soon. A good Soon, since a good part of us likes old D&D. I also heard that Jason has been to Japan, so I thought it'd be nice to say hello from here. Uh, he wants to know this. Also, uh, as a relative newbie to AD&D 1E, I would like to know how you calculate PX for monsters compared to the yeah. Redbox D&D. Probably meant XP. Yeah, probably. I am yeah. particularly interested in making house rules to use for bits for various and other versions, but he wanted to know how he calculates XP. Nick, oh. how do you do it? Well, there is rules in the DMG for that in uh, the first edition Dungeon Master's Guide. And I am furiously flipping through the books here and um, trying to remember what page it's on. There's a matrix for it. Um, it basically depends on the hit dice of the monster. You look right. in there. Yeah. In fact, here's the page. Page 85. You look up the hit dice of the monster. And there are some extraneous uh, things that could modify the experience points. Yeah. Say for, let's say, a three-hit dice monster. Basic XP value is 60. Uh, four extra hit XP per hit point. Um, if it has um, special abilities, uh, that would be... Things like four more attacks per round, missile discharges, armor class zero lower, special attacks like blood drain, hug crush, special defenses, high intelligence, uh, spells, <laughs> gets additional 25 experience points. Uh, exceptional abilities would be like level drain, paralysis, poison. It's all listed here, mm -hmm. and, and uh, you'll get additional 65 experience points with that. So... Um, yeah, depending on what the creature is, you just go by what it is in the monster manual. Uh, total up, you know, it's hit dice. Does it have any special abilities and exceptional abilities? You add that to the XP total, and there you go. Yeah, you could do that method directly by the book, or you could just give, like, a general XP at the end of the adventure for everybody. No, we are all by the book here. No, we're no. not. No, we're <laughs> definitely we not. Definitely my, not. Yeah, my group, we actually... In any game system we play, do not even bother with XP. We kind of just play it by feel. Like, dash. Yes, I know. Ooh. It's like we'll go every two or three sessions and be like, okay, now it's time to level up. Or we had a major encounter 
or had a major accomplishment, then we'll be like, okay, it's time to level up. And that's well, how we you, do it. You don't the, use experience points? What are you, a communist? Pretty much, yes. <laughs> oh, I did. Yes. Yes, our by the book person is not here today, so. <laughs> I, I got to do XP by the book because I'm going to make those people earn it. I just give general XP based upon how they played in the game. I mean, if they, if, obviously, if they defeated, like, a giant demon, we're going to give them the XP for that. But generally, I'll just, you know, I'll give round numbers, and I hate giving, like, 121 hit, you know, uh, experience points. Like, come on. <laughs> Make them earn every little XP they can. Point two five. Arm for it. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. You look in the book, and you'll find the way to do it. Yep. This next one comes from Scott. He said he's new to the show. Welcome. I really like what you were doing. Thank you. I recently got back into old school ADD, and RFI is really titillating my interest. I bought the iPhone app to support the show. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Any support helps. You actually bought an iPhone just to get the app? No, I bought the iPhone app to support the show. Oh, I was like, <laughs> wow, that's dedication. <laughs> I don't think anybody's that dedicated, Nick. <laughs> he, would, he says, I would like to see the actual play Quest for the Book of Sorrows added to the app. Also an enjoyable presentation. Thank you. Thanks for the great work, Scott. I don't think we can add that to the app, can we, Matt? Uh, I don't think so because the actual plays would have to be hosted by Libsyn to be automatically included in the app. We might be able to come up with a workaround, but no guarantees on that. Yeah, can you, you can't pull feeds on that thing yet, right? right? I don't believe you can. I'll look into it to see if there might be something we could come up with. But it's you kind can still of listen through through the iTunes on on the iPhone app anyway, right? So, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I I guess he just wanted it so when he puts the button, he could just pick whatever he wanted. Uh, yeah. Okay, the next one comes from Mark. First, I really enjoy the show. I was just listening to the part in episode forty three about how to mechanically do a chase or race. As a addition that shall not be named player, I recently did a race that took place in the city as a skill challenge. What's a skill challenge? Well, anyway. With each character on their own timeline based on successful or failed skill checks. Again, I don't know what the skill check thing is. The player who accumulated the required amount of successes won the race. I never told the player that and did not create and it did not create what? And it did create some race-like tension. Anyways, great program just got my eBay first edition core books in the mail today. Thanks. Okay. Cool. I guess that's how they do it in uh, the edition that shall not be named. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Me and my uh, gaming group, we actually played uh, Aces and Eights, the Ken's and Kenzer and Company uh, Western game. Ooh, yeah. And the chase rules in it were rather unique. You actually use a deck of playing cards. Yeah. And depending on what you flipped, is whether you had an obstacle or. It was kind of, our group didn't like it. It was kind of clunky, but we also had the same issue with their combat system as well, considering we would spend an entire gaming session with one uh, gunfight that in game time lasted maybe three minutes. It's, because, a, it's a very crunchy system. Yeah. I like it, but if it's your first time doing it, it can be a bit daunting. Yeah, that's pretty much what we ran into and then we had an instance where someone basically fell down a well and we could not find falling damage Timmy. in the core book didn't exist D6. We, 
Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's kind of what we did. Make it up. Yeah. yeah. Make it up. One d twenty. Little Jimmy fell down a well. Timmy. Timmy. Lassie. <laughs> the next one. Our next letter comes from. I love this. Razzing the self-proclaimed leader of the Halfling Union. <laughs> okay. Well, the Halfling Union gave us a, that uh, certificate allowing us into the Halfling Union. So now our self-proclaimed leader is emailing us. <laughs> His topic is lawful evil. I was wondering, does how does a lawful person, awful evil person, act? Why does he have to be evil? Why can't he just be good, but his day job sometimes requires him to kill people? <laughs> Example, like the person who pulls the switch at an execution or a marine sniper that shoots people in the time of war. Please let me know what your thoughts are on this. All right. One, you can't use real world analogies. It doesn't work. I'm sorry. You can't classify a guy who pulls the switch for an execution or a marine sniper as lawful evil. That just isn't how it works. I'm sorry, but I hate it when you get into these alignment questions. Oh, it's it's a bugaboo, man. I'm telling you. Just go by what it is in the book. That's all I'm saying. I usually play lawful evil as and he sticks within the the laws to figure out what evil act he can do. He just twists everything around. Sure. Yeah. He's a real-life rules lawyer. He's a real-life lawyer is what it is. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Okay. And, uh, I, oh, yeah, go ahead. I just, I, I just, one of those things when everybody in general, when they get into these alignment questions, and I answer, I've been on quite a few forums that they, when they talk about this sort of stuff, it, someone likes to make a real world analogy, and it just does not work that way. <laughs> Yeah, just and don't do this on the first edition forums at Dragon's Foot. Oh, oh God, no, yeah. no, no. <laughs> you know, there, there needs to be a neutral ground for first edition that people don't like. You know, like scream at other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some people really get screamy in that forum. Mm-hmm. Hit the caps lock and go oh. crazy. And the last email whew, comes from the angry monk. <laughs> Uh, just discovered your wonderful podcast. I enjoy it immensely. Uh, you have inspired me to stay away from the newer versions of D&D and return to my original books and modules to relive the glory. I am trying to catch on the, up on the podcast, so I don't know if you've dealt with this issue yet. I know Jason is a stickler for the rules, and uh, so I can already guess his response, but here it goes. I <laughs> I strongly dislike the Vancian magic system. Jason is like, right now looking around in his house. Someone talking about me? It just <laughs> just doesn't fit my notion of what a magic user is. Besides, it makes magic users too boring and lame to use at low levels. I've been looking around for a good mana spell point system that fits mm. nicely into AD&D world. That doesn't make higher level magic users fireball casting machine guns. Do you wise sages... Wait, I'm looking for a wise sage. Nick, do you see one? Uh, not at this moment, no. Okay. You wise sages have any advice for me? Thank you, and I really enjoy the show. Shannon. The Angry Monk. Vince? Hmm. Any I, ideas for a point system? for? I, no, I don't, I've never used it. I've just gone to the book. Yeah. I, I do, too. Yeah. I, they are kind of boring, well, is right. I mean, yeah. Well, here's one thing I've done, as, and I think we talked about this in a previous uh, show not too long ago about like optional rules and, and house rules. And one of the things I've done is take 
at least for magic users, you know how clerics get a bonus for wisdom. I give magic users bonus spells based on intelligence. And that helps a little bit, you know, that they seem so they won't seem so lame, you know. Um, but other than that, I can't really think of a, a good point system that you kind of graphed on the what's they have for AD&D. Yeah. I mean, what about you, Matt? Um, I know the Palladium Fantasy uses a point system. I've never had a chance to actually play it, though. Yeah. Um, but I can only imagine that it's probably rather overly mechanical, just knowing how other Palladium systems play. Yeah, that, yeah, Riss or TMNT or Ninjas and Super Spies, um, but Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, but yeah, I really don't see how you would have a really good point system to yeah. add to AD and D without really overhauling how wizards gain spells. How right. yeah. I, or how a cleric would gain his spells. You would ha- have to over- basically overhaul the entire class to make it work right. Well, Palladium Fantasy is at least a start. At least get a look at it, I suppose. Right. It, you could pro- You could go through that book and find, okay, well, this spell is kind of like this AD&D spell and, be like, and try to work around that. But I don't think it would go all that well. Doesn't yeah. Steve Jackson's games have something like that? Uh, the GURPS? It I don't know. may. Let's see here. As I pull GURPS Basic off the shelf here. <laughs> Matt really does have a the, book. <laughs> yeah. One of the few books I don't own is GURPS. Yeah, I don't own GURPS. Surprisingly, I do have Fudge. Remember that system? Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah. I've heard stories. Yes, it's an interesting system, that's all I'll say. Isn't that weird diceless system? Yeah, it's kind of. Yeah, the the amber is the diceless. Amber diceless, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was reliving my while Matt's looking that up. I was reliving my my glory as I I picked up a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles book, the role playing yeah. game. It was yeah. like five bucks. I was like, yeah. I actually have the complete set of the TMNT books. I've, wow, really? Yeah, I've managed to get them all because most of them are. Other than the turtles specific ones, they're all still in print. Yeah, uh, I know. After the bomb was a hard one to get by, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. They actually now instead of calling it TMNT, they just call it After the Bomb. So it has the base rules with uh, all the After the Bomb supplement included without the TMNT. Uh, Intellectual oh, property. So they're still producing uh, it. Oh, okay. Interesting. I still wanted the Turtles one, so meh. Okay. <laughs> yeah, let's see here. We had lots of Is hours. Is it a point in. system in GURPS? Uh, it's something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm flipping through it, and I can't really figure out because I it talks about magic, but it I don't actually have, like, the book for magic. Yeah, it's a separate book. Isn't it? Yeah. It uh-huh. looks like it may be point based from what I can gather because it went on into how to create magic items in the magic section as opposed to casting spells. Mm-hmm. So. Well, anyway, we'll post it. If we find something out, we'll post it in the show notes as usual. So we just move on. We don't want to spend too much time on uh, something like this right now. Yeah. We'll just email them if we find something interesting. 
And if anyone else does find anything interesting, you can email us at what, Nick? I have no flipping <laughs> idea. <laughs> RFIstaff at gmail.com. Or you can go to RFIpodcast.com. And we have our own set of forums there with some very active community listener posters. Yeah, that's it. Who are listeners, yes. Or you can call and, and voicemail us at 570-865-4210. The RFI hotline. The hotline. Where kobolds are standing by. That's right. And we'll head to the table manners. Typical of all the evil creatures in the world. I like to find one with table manners. What are you kidding me? I spent years cultivating the worst table manners on the planet. Table manners. All right. Table manners this week. I'm going to be dealing with something, uh, item saving throws. And if you use them and what it is, then um, they stay crunchy even in milk. So. <laughs> yes, throughout the whole, every last bite is all crunchy. That's right. Much like Cheerios. Yes. Mm. Uh, item saving throws, what is the purpose of this? Well, item saving throws are used for, well, particular items that a character might own or an NPC might own or might find in a dungeon. And they are subsec- uh they're subjected to some sort of uh, attack form, mm-hmm. uh, either cloth, glass, m- liquid, metal, whatever it may be, uh, is subjected to some sort of attack like a uh, fireball or uh, crushing blow or a fall. And uh, there's a matrix on page 80 of the Dungeon Master's Guide that shows you, you know, whatever the item is and the attack form, and the target number. Now, there are some modifiers to this, like if it's a magical item, uh, magical items get plus two in all rolls, plus a plus one for each plus. They have above plus one. Can it get more redundant? So, <laughs> i.e., a plus one would equal plus two on the saving throw, plus two would equal plus three on the saving throw. Um, also, magic items gain plus five on saving throws against affected attack forms from its own mode. So, you know, like a ring of fire would get plus five in addition to saving versus fireball. Uh, so, and that's how it works uh, in, in a nutshell. Mm. For, for me, I only used the uh, saving throws for... Um, this for uh, items. Mm. I've only used it for magical items. I don't think I've ever used it for non-magical items, which you could, I suppose, mm. unless, it, or maybe like if if it was like something specifically written into an adventure, like it says, if such and such happens, all the items on the character need to make an item saving throw. Blah blah blah. I don't normally use them for everything because. I did once, just out of chance, like uh, the group got hit by a fireball, and I had everybody roll saving throws for every item on their list against fireball. It took forever. So <laughs> I don't recommend doing that. I just just use the general saving throw for the person, you know, for that. I, that would have been but, a good idea. I could have used that in my campaign. I just never thought about using item saving throws. I mean, I'd use them against magical items, maybe, you know. Uh, but other than that, um, that's pretty much how they're used. There's some uh, excerpt 
there is an excerpt like uh, for item saving throws on page 81 uh, specifically regarding artifacts and relics. Now, mm. this might be interesting to everybody. Um, it does say for artifacts and relics, because of the very nature of these items, you may desire to disallow any destruction or harm to these items by common, normal, or magical means. This rule may apply to some, all, or none as you deem best in the circumstances of your campaign. You might, for example, decide that such items have an additional plus three on their saving throw dice and that certain obvious potent items are subject to harm only from other artifacts and relics or attacks by gods or similarly powerful beings. So in that regard, with that paragraph, uh, it almost leaves, it pretty much leaves it up to the DM. Does an artifact or a relic, like, I don't know, the Ring of Gax, <laughs> is it susceptible to destruction at all? It's really up to the DM. So I think that's an important little thing to add in there. So. Yeah. I know there was one example in my in my actual play I could have actually used this is when uh, the one of my players, the magic user, had this wand that he had. And mm-hmm. It was actually a, uh, a like a fireball wand I gave him just so yeah. he would have a little something extra as opposed to never having spells, which he seemed to run out of all the time. Mm. Uh, so what he did was he they flung open the door and they were going after this this guy and they he flung open the door and he just aimed the the wand in the room and just blasted him in the room. Well, um, he forgot to take into account that in the, the room could blast. be yeah the back blast and not only that in the room there were flammable items. Oh jeez, such as various liquids that the guy was working on because he was in his lab and near the lab was his bedroom. So you know, generally when you work at home, you bring things all over the house. So he jumped in the room, blasted the fireball, so I let him roll that. And then the black ba- the the pack blast came and the whole party got zapped with this giant boof of fire. So I, I could have nice. probably did a saving throw for all their magical items, but I didn't even think about it. Yeah. What about you, Matt? Have yeah. you used item saving throws at all? Uh no. Um usually we the only time I would even possibly roll one as if like an object was being specifically attacked or right. uh, affected uh, as just maybe if like okay the character falls underwater and they have some papers on them I'll check see okay did are the papers sealed up right prevent getting wet but really I think it just kind of bogs down things if you start rolling for everything in their backpack did it save yeah. did this save did this save mm-hmm. it, it yeah, so really I would only use them for like very important items that would actually affect the game in an interesting way as opposed to, well, your belt failed at saving throw, but your pants are fine. Doesn't really make much sense. <laughs> or vice versa. Yes. You have a your belt, pants but now you have failed. Yes. <laughs> yes, you're you have a belt, but you have no pants. Hmm. <laughs> Does that work? Yes. <laughs> so I don't really use it. Nick, you don't really use it much. Not much. I think I probably use it the same way Matt would. If it, if the item was specifically being attacked, for I would maybe use it then. Um, other than that, maybe for magic items that were that were affected in some way. I could totally hear Jason saying, "I definitely use this." Because I think I've heard him use this in his podcast when he when he was run, had him up and running. Mm. 
So that's table manners. Item saving throws uh, on various yeah. items. How would you use it? You can give us an email or give us a voicemail. We'd like to hear what you do or how you do it and if you do it and which way you do it. So let's hit it the hey, game again. Let's keep it clean. Hey, that was nothing wrong with that. I was just getting groovy on the mic. Let's okay. go into game mechanics. You think I'm mad? Perhaps I am. What are you, a wizard, a genius? Darn. A perfectly good brain wasted. Game mechanics. And now we are in game mechanics. If you would turn to your page 69 in your DMG... <laughs> We'll be discussing the number of opponents per figure. Uh, this is something that actually harkens back to the days of chain mail and hex grids. Mm-hmm. Yep. And basically it just restricts the number of adjacent uh, enemies you can have surrounding you. Yeah. So, yep. so It's pretty simple, actually. Yeah. It is. I, you pretty yeah. much refer to the chart you can use, depending on what type of chart you're – I mean uh, table battle mat you're using, hex – I don't know. They both look like hexes. What's the other one? Uh, there is – it's a hex just depending on – it's rotated. Yeah. Whether yeah. if you want the flat edge to be your front or if you want the point to be your front. I guess it depends how the mini was uh, crafted. Yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah, it basically uh, one version has a front arc of three hexes. The other version has a front arc of two. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's, I, that's why I was kind of confused how they, yeah. what they were so doing. Just really has to do with uh, miniature or orientation, and then there's also it shows the uh, version if you use squares, mm-hmm. um, which if you it I've never actually seen a miniature where the front of a square base is the actual point. Yeah, I've never seen that either. I don't, do they even make them like that? Uh, the only way I can't think of a miniature like that. Yeah, I can't think of one either. Yeah, but they have that grid listed in the book as well, for, in case you have some oddball miniature. So basically, the, yeah, go ahead, Matt. I'm sorry. Yeah, but so do any any of you actually use miniatures in your first edition games? No. I, I do do placements on charts and things like that. Like yeah. when I'm doing the actual play, I have yeah. my uh, my whiteboard Maybe here. Maybe marching order. Well, I do have a I do have a whiteboard which I I will I will tell the players this is what it looks like and I'll let them visualize it. But for my tracking purposes, I have where they where they're xed at and where they're not, so I can get an idea who's flanking and who's who's you know rear attacking and stuff like that. Because that's important. I mean, the plus two for a rear attack is important sometimes. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One my, thing I found interesting. I'm sorry. Man, oh no, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I, go ahead. One thing I found interesting on this, I must have forgotten is right in the middle section here, basically the difference for small, medium, large figures, if the central figure is, like, for example, small, Mm -hmm. it tells you how many medium-sized figures or how many large and how many small figures can attack it in a single round. Yeah. So if you have a small figure that is the defender, I guess you Mm -hmm. would call it, it can have four medium creatures attack it, or two large uh, figures, or there are six small figures. And um, hmm. if you have a size medium that's defending, it could be attacked by eight small opponents, six medium opponents, or four large. And if it's a large opponent, 12 small, <laughs> yeah, eight medium, and six large opponents can attack it at one time. 
Hmm. So I, I thought that was interesting. So if you yeah. need to determine, like, you know, the giant rats are attacking your your character, you know, you can have up to eight small, eight, eight giant rats attack that one character at one time. Yeah. So. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. My group, uh, we use a lot of miniatures. Um, yeah. Pretty much for any system, even if it doesn't really have rules for using miniatures, just we'll draw out like, okay, we'll, like we played a top secret SI game. We were drawing out the buildings and we had our figure placement. But when it came to actual movement and positioning, we kind of played that loose. Just it yeah. was just more so we had a visual representation since we have all these minis, we might as well use them. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to actually, okay, well, you can only have so many figures attacking you this round. Right. Uh, we probably wouldn't use those rules. Um, we'd just be like, well, okay, it it makes sense. These figures are around you. They can attack you. Not, well, sorry, uh, only six humans, even though more are around you, <laughs> only six can attack you. Yeah. Uh, there's If you have... That what depending on if you use these squares, you can have nine people threatening you, but under those rules, only eight of them could attack you. Right. So I guess this is kind of like a guy. It's a good guide, at least to go by. Right. You know, if you're not sure. Yeah. Yeah. If you haven't played war games or miniature games, it, it gives you rules to work off of for using hexes and squares and manipulating mm-hmm. your figures. That the war gamer say would already just have under his belt and be comfortable with other, another setup. Right. Yeah. This is just more complex than you really need to do. I mean, you could yeah. visualize it. And if you're real stickler for it, then go for it. But I think the the post 2000 editions kind of harped on this a lot. Yeah. Yes, and they, they made it very simple, but they really, really harped on using figures and where placement right. is. And right. It became the, the combat became very tactical. Yeah, in the 2000s, it, it was very, it was less abstract, I guess. Yeah, it, it actually became you could run a standalone war game using the combat rules in like three and three o and three point five. Mm-hmm. They were that detailed in how combat is handled. They could be their standalone game. Well, they had a standalone miniatures game for a while for third edition. I remember that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, chainmail. They, they, chain yeah, yeah. they had chainmail, and then they had the D and D minis uh, that evolved out of that, yeah. uh, which was a different rule set. Uh, chainmail, I think, was a uh, second. No, it late? was it was third. Okay, because we actually, uh, my group actually started playing it because you were able to. Well, then you were able to buy it and paint it yourself, and we had fun doing that. So okay, wonder why it died out. Uh, because you had to paint it yourself, and they were expensive. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yes. When when you have the painted miniatures, it really limits your market. I'm not a painter. I have no skill when it comes to painting. So, any miniature that's not pre-painted, I don't buy. Wow. So. Yeah, I think a lot of people were like that. But I noticed that Paizo went to the whole "you paint it yourself" deal. Mm-hmm. The the minis are cheaper that way. They're saying. Yeah. And then you're actually able to do metal miniatures that way. Yeah. Where I still you... like, I still like metal miniatures like from Reaper. Yeah. There's but, a guy uh, that comes to Mepicon every year. Speaking, of which is coming up next month in April. The local con here is from Reaper. I think he's from Reaper. He has all Reaper products, and he does uh, a, a seminar every day. You can sit down with him, and he teaches you how to paint the metal miniatures, and 
you get to keep it at the end. Oh, cool. Nice. So, yeah. Teaches you how to paint, you know, what brushes to use, what paints, how to mix it. It's a really good class. I appreciate that he does. I think his name is Brian. Yeah. But anyway, do you guys use this at all or no? I haven't. But no. um, sometimes I, I use a pretty, it. It'd be a good guide, though, if you weren't really familiar with, like, facing rules and you can't really think of anything on the fly you're not sure about. I think it's something decent to go by. I've never used a hex map ever in my life. One. Really? No, I really? hate I hate the hex maps. A. Oh, I don't like them either. I, I you always, always have used square maps with the squares. Always. I mean, ever since I saw that rule in 1E one, one e that said optional, you can use square maps to represent, I have always used that. I cannot visualize the hex map. They just look stupid to me. I don't know. I think not I've insulting always... anyone out there. I've always associated the hex map with the outdoor and I hated that square too. maps indoor. Yeah. You know, that's I maybe it's because how a lot of things are published as far as the the modules are concerned if at least I notice yeah. anything that's outdoor adventure it's always hex but indoor is all square. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. The only time I use a hex map is if I'm busting out one of my old Avalon Hill war games. Oh yeah! Wow. Outside of that, it's always squares. All right. So, uh, if you use this rule, let us know, and uh, we want to hear about it. And I believe we're going into creature feature theater next. If no one has anything else to say. Creature, creature, feature, feature theater, theater. So the Creature Feature Theater for this week. We have a Meanlock. Meanlock! Coming, hailing from the Fiend Folio yet again. We love that book. Mm-hmm. If you turn to page 63, the Meanlock is that big, hairy, spider-like thing with big eyes, and that's it. Okay. No. <laughs> oh, that's not it? <laughs> it's two feet tall and covered in black and shaggy fur. Oh my god, Shaggy must be upset. <laughs> Their heads are white, with <laughs> cut with dark ridges. They have a hard appearance and will cause fear in any person with four or fewer hit dice who sees them, causing the victim to fall inert to the ground for five to eight melee rounds. Wow. Yeah, nasty. These are like these. They're like a boogeyman creature. Their their hit dice are, are are four, so like around level four. They're always in their lair. Yeah, hundred percent. There you go. Oh, and they have paralyzation as their special attacks, and they have dimension. Oh, wonderful! Dimension door as their defense. Yeah. So you can see this thing coming out, going blah, 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 and then jumping in this, <laughs> jumping in the shadows in this door and yeah. going to someone else. You know, when I was reading the the description on on this guy, mm-hmm. I got the impression, like you said, he's kind of like a he's like a boogeyman. He's something out of the nightmares. Yeah. You know. Yeah. He's. Just very creepy, especially when you get into beyond where you're trying to get into things, Lair. Yeah. When a group of them tries to track you and mark you. Yes. <laughs> that part got really creepy. So if they, like, know that you're trying to invade their lair or if you run away and they, you, they'll, a group of them or at least one of them is going to, I guess, Climb out of its lair and track you around. So how can you say one? Yeah. 
how about the telepathic how, messages they have to they send yeah. you? Yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing about that is they'll track you and mark you, and then they'll send like, I guess, psychedelic disturbing messages to your brain telepathically. I would, you know, what I I think this would be perfect equivalent of Freddy. Yeah, yeah. It's almost a Freddy Krueger kind of thing, yeah. but they're only two feet tall. Well, yeah, but. But still, I mean, you would think of he, you know, he messes with your mind. He tries to scare you. He talks yeah. to you while you're awake, you know. And then when start you start seeing things out of the corner yeah. of your eye, will, start will not attack you until you rest. Yeah. And it says, what is it? That your strength, dexterity, intelligence, and will and wisdom will be reduced temporarily by one point each for every hour harassed. Yeah, cumulative. Yes. <laughs> so you could effectively go into a coma if you don't get some rest from this thing. I mean, that's a pretty nasty little guy here. Yeah. So, I mean, I haven't used them. I mean, but Vince, how would you use these guys or have you used them? This, if I knew, I wish I found this creature when my party and uh, was in the uh, dark woods. Because this would have been a perfect creature. To sneak up on them in the middle of the night when they're sleeping because there's like an 80% chance that they could surprise even on a, a watchful guard, it says. Yeah. So these things can sneak up, like scratch at the trees and make yeah. little noises here and there. And like the person looking around, what was that? You look in there, there's nothing there. And these creatures come out, blah, 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 you know, they scare. <laughs> yeah. Number appearing three to five, so they can, you know, a small group of them can cause some trouble. Yeah, but unfortunately, they're, they're, you have to find them in the lair. So, I mean, you could make the lair in the woods. Right. But it seems yeah, like the description yeah. saying they're in tunnels and caves. Or someplace right. light really can't get to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, would some, I don't know how I would use these because that percentage in lair kind of bothers me. I, yeah. You don't have to. But, like, like anything, you don't have to go by that. Right. Right. Yeah. I would almost like to use these as, I don't know, just oh, a... Yeah. Like a dark woods kind of area, or yeah. uh, 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 I don't know, some sort of pit in the dungeon where they might live. Some of yeah, you know, some abandoned part of the dungeon. I don't know. Yeah, I, I can. The way I'm envisioning, I'm thinking using them. They're having the sealed lair. This is for the group that loves to search for everything, tries to loot everything. So you have that uh, sealed lair, and they're like, ooh, there's, that's sealed off. We need to get into that. And then right. it's a mean lock. Then that'll oh, teach man. them, don't always open everything you find. Right. right. Yeah, well, I got my groups like that, too. They, it's like their standard procedure is toss the room. Yes. <laughs> and then oh, they will not leave any stone unturned. Yes. Yeah, that's a good idea using this for, right. you know, keeping those people on their toes. They like to, you know, trash the room after, try to find everything. Guess right. what? Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you don't want to find everything. You know, yeah, this some... kind of reminds me of, like, the movie Puppet Master. You can have, like, the evil wizard using these little creatures that he created in the lab <laughs> at night to go out and, like, torture the victims inside his house oh, if yeah. they're in there yeah. looting around. Yeah. Wow. Or like the Ghoulies. Remember that movie? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> the evil, the evil, stupid wizard who finds the satanic book and summons these creatures that come out of, like, the water fountains and stuff. And the toilet. <laughs> yeah, the toilet. Yeah. Yeah. The toilet one. Oh, nice. that, that was hilarious. 
You just made them B grade. Thanks a lot. <laughs> B grade monsters. Sorry, everybody. I love the big horrors. <laughs> In fact, that was on HBO the other day, so I was watching it. That's why I remembered it. <laughs> wow, he actually sat down and watched it. Amazing. I because I, I was like, oh, this is so cool, this movie, and yet it's so lame at the same time. So I had to watch so, it. So bad, it's good. Yes. So bad, <laughs> it's good. <laughs> so I guess that's. Tell us how you use it, and we'll you know. We'll listen. We will? No, we won't. Oh, okay. <laughs> Dragon Sword. Let's head into that next. The Dragon Sword. All right, here we are at the Dragon Sword, and uh, this week we're going to talk about I, a uh, real cool magic item that I practically forgot about: the Helm of Brilliance. Hmm. Now, yeah, if you look in your DMG, page 145, um, Helm of Brilliance, it'll look like, just give a description of this uh, guy, it looks like a regular piece of armor, like a bassinet or salet, made of iron or steel. Um, it has a command word when you find it out, it somehow, could be astronaut, however the DM wants it. Uh, the When you find out it's... Uh, I guess command word, you will know how the true nature of this item. And it is empowered. The true nature of the helm is visible to all. The helm is armor of plus two value. Uh, Has 10 diamonds, Mm -hmm. 20 rubies, 30 fire opals, and 40 opals, each of large size and magic. And each of these gems performs a particular type of of magic spell and anytime when a bright light strikes the helm uh what does it say the helm will scintillate and send forth reflective rays in all directions from its crown like spikes set with gems very gygaxian there i must say yeah so the diamonds each diamond will Get this is where this thing becomes very very cool. Just at the get go, each diamond as you use it uh, can cast prismatic spray as the seventh level illusionist spell. Each ruby will cast wall of fire as the fifth level druid spell. Fire opal will do fireball as a magic user spell, and an opal will do light as the cleric spell. Wow. Each gem will perform each spell-like power in but one segment. So only one segment to cast. Uh, but each is only used once. Once you use a gem for that particular type of spell-like effect, it burns out, basically. Cannot be recharged in that re- in that uh, 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 effect. So you can't replace a ruby or a fire opal or what have you. Once it's used, it's gone. But it even gets better, folks. Wait, there's more. Hmm. <laughs> a helm of brilliance also is capable of the following magical properties when activated one it glows with bluish light when undead are within 30 feet this light causes pain and 1d6 points of damage to all such creatures save skeletons and zombies cool which is kind of weird so skeletons and zombies aren't affected by the bluish light but a ghoul gas whites vampires and liches are affected by it, which is kind of strange. Mm. 
Uh, two, the where this is where I thought, oh my gosh, this is like the coolest thing on the planet. I want one. <laughs> two, the wearer may command any sword he or she wields to become a sword of flame. This brings additional to its other special properties, if any. One round of time is required to affect this fire. So even if you had a magical sword, uh, like a, a giant slayer, it will be also become a sword of flame. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's what I said. And we all know as, as, as young kids and teens that we always wanted a flaming sword because of, you know, all the cartoons we watched. Yeah, there you go. Then, three, the wearer may produce flame, just as if she were a fifth-level druid. And four, the wearer is protected, just as if a double-strength fire resistance ring were worn. But this protection cannot be augmented by further magical means. So, yeah, I like that sword power myself. So it's safe to say first-level characters wouldn't have this. No. No. Now there's a there's a, a few caveats to to this. Like I said, once the jewels have lost their magic, the helm loses all of its powers. The gems turn to worthless powder when this occurs. Removing a jewel destroys the gem. They may not be be bleh, excuse me, I'm sorry. They may not be remagicked. If for any reason the wearer fails to make his or her saving throw versus a magical fire attack, he or she must attempt another saving throw for the helmet. Without magical additions. There it goes, your item saving throw. Yeah. Matrices we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. If this has failed, the remaining gems on the helm will all overload and detonate, <laughs> causing in multiple whatever effects the gems would normally have. Nice. So, this is the type of item, if you're going like against a red dragon, I don't know, or if hit by a fireball. And you miss your save, and this mama jama's on your head. You better hope that your magic item makes the save. Or yeah. <laughs> everybody in the room is, or the whole dungeon's just gonna get leveled. Yeah, so, thirty fireballs like, simultaneously. Yeah, and walls of fire and prismatic space, yes. rays and lights just all going off like flash bulbs. It'd be quite the light show, though, from afar. Yes, it, yes, it would. <laughs> I can't think of a way really to use this other than a questing item, but I don't see why you would be questing for this, really. I don't know. A Helm of Brilliance is... I just like it for its sword function. That is just amazing. Yeah. In itself. Uh, the Helm in itself is worth 2,500 XP. So, not that much, surprisingly, for what it does. I think uh, the the possibility of this thing going like Death Blossom, like last Starfighter here, you know? Yeah. (laughs) If it loses its save, I guess maybe knocks down the XP a few. But uh, this is a really cool magic item if you can, you know, get your hands on it. This, but, you know, how... Yeah, like you said, Vince, I don't know if this would be something that you would quest for. Or... Yeah. It is powerful. I think it would be something that... You, I guess you could, in a, in a mid-level uh, adventure, you could maybe go on a quest for this sort of thing. 
I could see this being something like um, you're working with uh, this church and the church hires you because this leader is using this item and abusing it and they want to bring take it back to whatever, whatever. And your objective is to try to smuggle it away from this guy. I can see something like yeah. that. Yeah. I can see something like this. Honest, I, I don't know why, but this seems like something like the quintessential magic item you would find in a dragon horde. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is this is like beyond the magical sword that you would find or whatever. This helm would be in some sort of horde with a dragon. I, I would just, you know, I could see a lich wearing this. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> hmm. What about you, Matt? How would how would you maybe fit this into yeah. a campaign? Really, I, I'm kind of with Vince. I can see the uh, like the big bad having this and using it as a weapon to fight the players. As for just having it being like a dragon horde or having them ever actually be able to use it, I'm not really sure. I, I it, it just seems like it can do too much. And once they discover, hey, if it gets exposed to fire, uh, magic fire, it could blow up. Uh, they'll yeah. only use it in situations where that's not possible. Um, now, if you could give it to them and they wouldn't be aware of that, you could have some fun. With them oh yeah! If you wanted to go for a TPK, yeah. Well, that's what I was kind of thinking. You know, yeah. out there, everybody out there who's listening to this, this helmet brilliance. And how it, how they might have used it in their campaign. I'm really interested in hearing if anybody has some stories about when this magical item failed at saving throw against magical fire and what happened. <laughs> I would be really interested in hearing those stories. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll just leave it up to the folks out there and about the helmet brilliance, how you used it. Did it fail at saving throw one time? So that's a hell of a brilliance in a nutshell. I guess uh, Vince will move on. Yeah, we'll be right back after this. From the Tome by Arlock the Wizard, Prestidigitator's Council, Volume 3, Concerning Alterations. During the months when Baron Athens' land was being cleared and a fortress built, I was determined to maintain the peace. Any danger could cause the settlers to abandon the effort and make for the security of their former homes. I made a point to visit my goblin friend Olsh every few weeks. For a long time, he was still under the power of the charm. At first, I brought him silver, a small fraction of what we had taken from the defeated goblin tribes, but also jewels, finery, and even food. I advised him to share it with the remaining goblins, to promise them things would get better, and to offer them new quarry after a few years of peace during which they could build up their strength. But I was mindful that I would soon arrive at our meeting place and find him back in control of his faculties, resentful that I had manipulated him with the charm spell, and bent on revenge. I was not especially afraid of him, and when I went to see him I prepared what spells I would need to put him down if he turned hostile. However, I soon realized that what I had done by building him up amongst his people offered an opportunity to finish off the remaining goblins and keep others away for many years. I contracted from the peasants the sewing of some goblin-sized suits of padded armor. I made sure these contained several layers of silk. This was costly and took a considerable portion of the silver I had gained from the goblins, 
but it contributed to the wealth of the new town, which I was glad to do. I brought this silken armor to Ulsh at one of our meetings, and told him these would protect his tribe in battle. He was delighted. Though he could only muster a dozen warriors from all the tribes we had defeated, I told him they would look so powerful in their new armor that he would eventually attract many followers and terrify any opponent in battle. Though still charmed and hanging on my every word, nothing I said or did was untrue. By this time, Olsh was already greatly respected by the remaining goblins for appearing to extract tribute from me, a claim advanced by my connivance. He had gathered the survivors of our raids, and with the riches I gave him, welded together a new tribe. By now, months had passed. It was all but certain the next time Olsh and I met there would be a confrontation, as the charm would finally have worn off. I had arranged to meet him in a place well suited for a goblin ambush, with a rise on either side for his new followers to hide behind. Sure enough, he took the bait. I brought my fighting men with me. As Olsh approached, decked out in the jewels and finery I had given him, his eyes betrayed malice, but I still feigned friendship. I left my companions behind at the most dangerous point between the two rises and approached Olsh. As soon as a gap opened between me and my friends, Olsh shouted to his concealed host. Six goblins mounted each rise, and they were in fact magnificent in their silken armor. All twelve of them charged downhill, six on a side, thinking to catch the fighting men between them and make a slaughter. Goblins never fight without the advantage, either of surprise or numbers. They cannot resist the attack when they have both. Now I sprung my trap. I wheeled about to face one of the two groups of six goblins. I touched my thumbs together, fanned out my fingers, and cast the spell Burning Hands. This spell is of the school of magic called Alterations, and it has the effect of projecting a fan of flames and igniting all flammable things within its range. In itself, it is not especially deadly. It would not have stopped six charging goblins for more than a few moments. But of course, they were wearing highly flammable armor. Silk is particularly useful in this regard. Half the goblin force was now writhing on the ground, screaming in their death throes from agonizing burns. The other six, moments before having been sure of victory, tried to retreat back up the rise. My companions fell upon them, and indeed there was a great slaughter, though not the one the goblins had intended. Now consider how few spells the new magic user can muster on any given day. A great mistake often is made to overly husband spells, missing decisive opportunities. Remember that the display of powerful magic can instill fear and break the morale of an enemy. Had the second group of six goblins known I could not cast another spell against them of such effect, they might have rallied and stood a chance against the fighting men. But they gave up their advantage, turned their backs, and fled out of fear of me. Now I mentioned the magical school of alteration. In addition to burning hands, there is another alteration that is easily accessible to the new magic user. It is called enlarge. By it, one can increase the size of a thing, or even a person. I could have increased my own height, or that of one of my companions, by almost half again, with the concomitant increase in physical strength and intimidation. 
but enlarge has an interesting property as an alteration, one it shares with some other spells, which should be considered. It is reversible, and quite trivially, once you have mastered its use. In this reversed capacity, the alteration is called reduce. I had decided that Olsh was to continue to serve me. However, it was no longer his friendship that I required, but his fear. Before he could make an escape, I cast Reduce on Olsh. There was the risk that he would resist the spell, but all I would have lost at this point was his further services, as he was much too terrified to be a threat. Fortunately, it worked. In moments, he had shrunk to perhaps two-thirds his normal size. Terror-stricken, he tried to run, but with his shortened stride I caught up to him easily. I held him fast and forced him to watch, as the tribe he had built with my help was cut to pieces. I beat and abused him, telling him that Arlok the Elf was diabolical and powerful, that I could make him or any goblin my slave, or shrink them down as I had done to him and make them a tiny race, despised by all. I dragged him back to my victorious companions, and they made game of him, batting him about in a circle with the flat of their swords. He cried out to me for mercy, but I taunted him for his faithlessness. I threatened to leave him forever in his shrunken state. Soon he collapsed, a gibbering little heap, exhausted and utterly defeated. Now I stripped him of the valuables I had gifted him over the months of our friendship. I dragged him back toward the mouth of the nearest cave, threw him down on the ground, and kicked him through the entrance of the cave into the darkness. I tossed one thing at his feet, a ring with a gem inlaid which I had given him early on, with which he had been much taken. I said to him, You have this to remember me by, little fiend. I gave you my friendship, and you could have kept it and ruled over your people. But look at you now. All you have is your story. Tell every goblin what you have seen. I rule this land now, and what has befallen you is the destiny of any goblin who sets foot here. And so I left Ulsh the goblin. I cannot be sure of what came of him, but he probably fled the caves into the wilderness beyond to find a new tribe. Their chief would take his precious ring as tribute, and with it hear his story, and learn to fear the land from which we had driven Ulsh and cleansed of goblins entire. So that's going to end the show this week, folks. Hope you've enjoyed it. Hope you've enjoyed the audio segments we provide each week and more to come. I know people are asking for Thane on a regular basis. Uh, I don't know what's going on with that as far as the actors. Either. Matt, do you have any insight on that one? We're working on it. There's, mm. there's still a few things that need to be worked out before we're able to start deciphering the Thane scrolls again. And we might get some... Uh... Blackstone's vaults out there. Maybe some uh, of the more uh, newer adventures out there have some reviews. <laughs> Ravenloft. You're anyway. very quiet over there, Vince. What are you saying? I'm, I'm hinting to Blackstone, who's listening now, to do the Ravenloft module, which I've been saying for 20-something episodes. Ah, uh, <laughs> yes, Ravenloft. Maybe we'll save that for around Halloween. <laughs> I'll I'll talk to him. I'll see what he can do. He could be very temperamental. And he his... might throw me to his Otiug. I don't know. <laughs> Strahd will get you. 
anyway, I'd just like to say also visit d20radio.com for all their fine programming and, and RPG uh, podcasts and literary podcasts. And I'd like to say a sad goodbye to the, uh, what was it, the um, the Power Source. I was just reading their message, Matt, because you told me about it before the show. Yes, he is shutting down permanently, it looks like, because he has other things in life that are getting in the way of podcasting. And then Radio Free Homlet, the other fourth edition uh, podcast on uh, the D20 Radio Network, is on hiatus as well. So between RFI and Save or Die, we're the only D&D podcast left on the network there. Yes. Because we're that cool. That's right. We're dedicated. We're committed. And we should be committed. Yes. Oh, that didn't come out right. No. Should we be committed? Um, you should be. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, um, keep it original, keep it old school, and good night, everybody. Night, everyone. Good night. Roll for initiative.